Yo fam, Coach Sam Strong, Jens Coaching, back with another episode for you guys. And on today's episode, we're diving deep. I'm here with my sister, Abby, and I'm going to introduce her in a second. But before we do that, Jens, if you could please leave a review for this podcast if you haven't already. I'm trying to grow this podcast and reach as many men as possible, and I need your help. It takes a tribe. So leave a positive review if you get something positive out of this episode and share this episode with two friends. Okay, guys, so today's episode, I got my sister on. My sister, Abby. What's happening, Abby? How are we doing? Good. Doing good. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm off work. I'm chilling. Nice. Midday coffee, and I'm ready to <laughs> enroll. Um, Abby's done some big things for nobody who has heard of late. Uh, she has <laughs> hung out with Rihanna. <laughs> Her and my father, actually, That's Coach funny. Tom. They hung out with Rihanna on what was it? Was it the Today? Today? The Today Show. Today Show. So, um... We're going to talk about that first. Um, Abby is currently living in Israel, which we'll dive into. But Abby, go ahead. Why don't you explain why you were hanging out with Rihanna? Okay. I'd and- like to preface that by just saying, you know, dad and I just want to live like normal people again. Um, it's been be hard. It's been huh? hard. You don't yeah. want to be famous? No, I wasn't expecting this. Um, but it is what it is. So I understand Rihanna now. Anyway, I'm- so... <laughs> So I wrote an article about my experience playing football as a girl, um, and I was lucky to have the Today Show publish it, and they tied it in with their Super Bowl content. So, you know, Rihanna was doing the halftime show, so they put it up, uh, they put my article up next to some article about Rihanna doing the halftime show. Uh, so dad and and my faces were up there next to hers. Um, yeah, that's how that happened. Homepage of the Today Show. <laughs> homepage it's still one of the greatest moments of my living life <laughs> i know yeah. and i felt i felt better that they used an unflattering picture of rihanna because our picture was pretty awful quality it was so, it was rough but yeah i think that's what made it better it, it was like yeah. one of those things where like it's not supposed to be there and so right. it, made it seem even cooler than it was <laughs> um but abby wrote the article and uh, it did get published. It got some awesome press. Um, the number one news outlet, though, that she has been interviewed on is the Strong Gents podcast. So if you guys can leave a review and subscribe, that'd be great. Um, <laughs> I'll try to I'll try to get Rihanna. She's busy, but she's making some shitty music, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I don't know. She, she's hard to catch her, you know. Um, the article, guys, um, was about her playing football. And that might sound a little weird to you guys out there listening. But yes, someone <laughs> choose to play football. And um, she wrote in the article about her experience playing football and some of the lessons she learned. So, um, Abby, what was the premise of the article? And um, let's dive into um, some of the reasons as to why maybe playing football, you know, helped change your life. Because most women would never have that experience. And most men, you know, would like to hear it from a women's perspective. Yeah, sure. So um, the premise of the article is basically exactly what you said. It's what I learned uh, being the only girl on my high school football team um, and how those lessons were transferred into my adult life and um, really informed the decisions that I made throughout, you know, my whole life since I've, since I've played. Okay. So I got a question for you. Um, growing up, you played soccer. Well, we, we all, we both played a ton of sports. Um, yeah growing up, but you had a main focus on soccer. You were very good at soccer. You excelled yeah. at that. That was your number one sport. Um, what sparked you to play football? Okay. <laughs> we're playing soccer initially. And then you said, you know, F the system. And, uh, <laughs> you know, you said play football. So what was the spark to embark that journey? Yeah. Well, people like to ask that. The story I tell is different than the one dad likes to tell. He takes it back like 10 years. So I'll just briefly tell you that because maybe there's something to that story. He really likes to tell it. So basically you were playing lacrosse. Um, So I don't know. I think you were in middle school. So I was probably like 10 or so or 11 maybe. And I saw you guys playing and I was like, this is so cool. I had never seen lacrosse before. It was physical and it was intense and I it just looked awesome. And I really wanted to play it. So dad said, okay, well, the girls are playing on that field. So go check them out. So I go over and I see the girls and they're just wearing goggles. And I was like, you know, where's their, where's their gear? Like where are their shoulder pads and all the gear that the guys are wearing? 
And dad explained to me that, you know, it's not really a contact sport the same way that it is for the guys. And that really upset me. I was really mad about that Um, because I didn't want to play that. That wasn't the same game that I was looking at the guys playing. So that really upset me. Um, And I didn't play. I never played lacrosse. And so dad likes to tell that story just to, I think, give you an idea of the mindset that I had. Uh, Even as a soccer player, I was really physical. So, but Fast forward a few years, um, basically, you know, dad for, you know, coach Tom, (laughs) as your listeners know him, um, was coaching at a high school that was not too far from ours. And I had just stopped playing soccer, which was pretty crushing for me. I had a bad experience playing soccer in high school. Um, you know, not good coaches. They'll do that to you. So, um, I, I stopped playing soccer. I got pretty depressed about that. I wanted to change high schools and I didn't think that I would because you, you know, they don't really let you do that. So when they said, yes, you can uh, transfer, I said, well, I'm going to play football. And I really started as a joke on dad. I was like, I'm going to be your linebacker. And he was like, no, you're not. Um, But I was like, I will play football though. And kicker was just a natural position for me to transition into because I'd been playing soccer for 10 years. So that yeah, we just, I just wanted to try it. So dad took me out with some footballs and a kicking block and they were just going in. And I was like, I can actually do this. And then I challenged myself and I was like, you're going to do it. Um, and I, I'll tell you later on, but I would fluctuate back and forth. It's like, am I really going to do it? Yeah, you're really going to do it. And so that's how, that's how I got started. I think that's interesting. That last part where you said, you know, like you are in a flux, like, am I really going to do it? Am I not going to do it? And I'm going to be honest. I think um, most people have that with almost every decision they make in life. And some yeah. decisions are a little bit more on the, the bigger side versus the smaller side of things. And I think sometimes people have a tendency to not believe in themselves and, yeah. and they never take that risk. And by never taking that risk, they never truly understand what they're capable of. And um, they're never, they, they don't open themselves up to evolve into a stronger, more resilient, you know, competent human being from challenging themselves. So yeah. I love you for challenging yourself. I think it's great, but there is one okay. thing you were talking about something real quick and I have to address it because it's a huge topic today and I have to touch upon it. We don't have to dive deep, but you made a quick statement there. You said, um, you saw men playing sport with pads and you wanted to play that sport. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you saw the women not wearing pads and you were like, no, screw that. F that. I want to wear pads. And I want to hit at yeah. any point in time in your head. Did you say, I want to be a man? No, that wasn't on the radar for me. Okay. Personally. Just, I just, cause so you <laughs> have ideas as a man or a woman, you know, you can want to do some more feminine things as a man or want to do some more masculine things as a woman and still yeah. be a man or a woman. I just noticed that yeah. sparked my thought real quick. Well, just as a side note, quick little addition to that, you can also combine the two. Like I played football, which is a pretty, for all intents and purposes, a manly thing to do. And I did it with long hair string out of my helmet, streaming from my helmet and hot pink soccer cleats. So, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a fashion in which you can do things. <laughs> it's funny because a lot of dudes are actually wearing hot pink hot pink cleats now <laughs> you yeah wear- well you're welcome <laughs> started the trend um but playing football in general what was the experience what was the experience like you know being surrounded by you know the only girl on the team so being surrounded yeah. by, what 50 other young men you know going yeah closer to, closer to 60 or more and, and that's just my team high school um, men, you know some of yeah. them stink and bad hygiene you know some oh of them they smell terrible cool. Yeah. What was the, what was some of the experience, you know, as, you know, being the only woman playing football? Um, well, it was kind of twofold because the the biggest challenge for me was getting started, um, and being welcomed by my own team. And by the time that I got welcomed and was comfortable with my own team, I couldn't care less about the other teams that, you know, I didn't care what they thought. Uh, I was so hyper-focused on my job on the, t- on the team that uh, I didn't pay them any mind. So really the biggest challenge was getting used to the guys around me. And it's, it's interesting because when you're a 16 year old girl, which is when I started playing, that is the time when you are like fixated on boys and things like that and wanting to look pretty and, 
um, you know, all these things that teenage girls fixate on. And I just didn't have the space for that. Like I was just trying to fixate on learning the game because I didn't have a clue how football was played when I signed up and learning my job in that game and getting to know these, these boys, because like I said, I had transferred to that school. So I didn't, I hardly knew any of them when I started playing. Um, but you know, one of the things that really helped was when I started playing our head coach who you're bringing onto this podcast, Greg, love him. <laughs> a character. Yeah. He introduced me to the team. So I didn't just walk on and start because that was too weird for me. I knew that they were going to be looking at me like, what is going on here? So before I started, Greg, you know, huddled the team together and introduced me and um, explained the situation that I was going to be playing. And I was so nervous in that moment because I didn't know how the team would receive that, but they were really excited and really supportive. And um, it was, it was kind of like, <laughs> I think when I first started playing, well, by the way, it's not really playing at first because the first step is summer training. So it's all physical training and conditioning for about a month leading up uh, to the start of the season. And so I was basically just thrown into these workouts with a bunch of guys. Um, and a lot of them are outside. Uh, we did these training sessions in the sand pit, which I wrote about in my article, killer workouts. So it's like three volleyball courts put together and just you know made of sand, but they weren't used. So we would trek through them back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Um, long jumping, bear crawling, sprinting, skipping, whatever the hell Greg came up with, <laughs> duck crawling, you know, like whatever it was. Uh, and it was awkward being the only girl. So it's kind of like, <laughs> like, if you watch these David Attenborough documentaries and they're like, there's one female in the wild and everybody's <laughs> kind of feeling each other out. They're like, what's going on here? So they were feeling me out. And I was feeling them out just kind of like, you know, how do we go about doing this? And really just time gets you, you know, and, and you repeat these things. Um, and you also develop a close relationships when you're going through something hard with people next to you. And I think that was, uh, that really sealed the deal for me and my, and my teammates, like, you know, you just spend so much time on the football field, They're, football, having played soccer and football, like you spend so much time at football Oh yeah, hours every day. So I'm, I have, yeah. res I have respect for women athletes. I mean, there are insane amount of women athletes that are just yeah. incredible. I mean, I'm the fitness guy. I love physical performances and physical feats and any human who can do it man and woman, I don't care. It's, it's amazing. And it's mind blowing. Right. But there is a significant difference, um, between a like training, like women's training and men's training. You know, yeah. I trained a lot of women throughout my career and I've trained a lot of men and it is different. And you should be proud of yourself for jumping in that, that, you know, <laughs> there and, and training okay. hard. Cause ha some of that, like, I mean, you might not remember completely because it was a long time ago, but that's some grueling, grueling shit. You oh, I remember like it was yesterday. Um, I, so I had been doing um, like cardio training, really intense cardio training for a long time in soccer, especially in my high school career, like just cardio until you want to kill yourself. Um, so I was ready for cardio and, and I did fine in any cardio related thing. What I hadn't done was all these body weight exercises, like those long jumps and brayer crawls, and then you put it on top of sand and it's even harder. Um, I did my, I, I did, the guys spent a lot of time in the weight room and we had a personal trainer on, on the coaching staff who developed a training program for me with weights that was a little bit different. Um, I wasn't used to it and I had to get into it and learn the movements. So yeah, it was, it was difficult. And, you know, it's also like, just for example, in the sand pit, you have, you know, it's, it's summer in the middle of New Jersey, so it can get really hot. And, uh, the guys would just strip their shirts off and I'd be dying in my cotton t-shirt. Like why I wasn't wearing dry fit is beside is like beyond me, but, 
Hey, um, hey, I don't know if you remember when me and you ran the Rugged Maniac. I wore a cotton shirt and it was 100. <laughs> it was black. I remember <laughs> that. And it was 100 degrees outside. <laughs> yeah. Us, yeah. Us lessons, we like the heat. Okay. I know. I mean, I know I do well in heat. I do. We but like I, it just always stuck out in my mind. Like, you know, that was a big difference. And then just little things that uh, you really, I, I just really had to get used to, like, you know, doing bear crawls. It was, it's a weird thing to be with 60 guys and you're the only girl and you have your ass up in the air crawling yeah. through the sand. Like, it's just Looking back, yeah. well, it's really an amazing thing that you did, what you did. I mean, uh, nobody else would have done that, you know? So, I mean, uh, kudos <laughs> to our fucked up upbringing as children, you know, <laughs> that's, that's partially what it is. Cause we both have done some pretty stupid or amazing things at the same time. Um, but going back to what you said, you know, you said you had some great support from these guys, you know, and yeah. I think um, as a man myself, looking back, like, um, you know, if, if like I was in a team and uh, a female came on that team and she was, you know, w like wanted to help the team, she is now part of the team. Like, that's just how, how it is. And I think that, you know, you said they were excited and you were kind of shocked at their initial reaction, but to be honest, you know, that that makes the victory even more sweet when you beat a team and you beat a team with a female kicker. Some of those dogs, <laughs> I'm telling you, some of those dogs on the field, Abby, were talking shit on the front line. And they were like, oh, oh, were yeah. like, oh you're about to get beat by a girl. Like, you don't need to go. <laughs> oh, oh, you mean on my side? Oh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's funny. Absolutely. I thought you meant on the other team. Um, but being around a bunch of men, you know, uh, in today's, in today's world, you know, men are beaten on a lot in the media yeah. um, and, you know, vilified and toxic masculinity is a huge topic. Um, mm -hmm. I think you are somebody more than any other female who can, you know, give a better understanding to men and their relationship to women because you were surrounded by 60 of them every day for years. Uh, and what was your overall experience with them? you know, in the locker rooms, you know, in practices, you know, give your overall experience. Were they all dogs? Were they disgusting? Were they, well, they might smell like crap, but that's besides, <laughs> you know, just give, and, and what did, and how did that shape your mindset, like growing up and becoming an adult? Cause you started when you were 16, you ended when you were 18 with a bunch yeah. of men. Um, so go ahead. What, what was your, uh, your like analysis? Well, let me just start by clearing the air. We didn't share a locker room. <laughs> No, I thought no. I thought all genders could share a locker room. Uh, not when I played. I was in the girls' room. <laughs> I had to have like the coaches had to have their own key because the janitors would be gone, and yeah. I'd get locked out. But um, yeah. So, well, let me before I touch on that, let me just paint a picture for you guys. So, um, when I'm kicking the football, there are uh, ten guys. I've got my holder and then 10 guys on the line, right? That sounds about right. <laughs> no, eight. Yeah. No, nine. I can't do math. And a Me plus my holders too. <laughs> so there's nine guys in front of me. I'm a writer. You're going to have to forgive me for that. She's a copywriter. She's not a math yeah. physician, so. <laughs> Um, So there are nine guys in front of me literally putting their bodies on the line to protect my body. That That's like you really develop a bond with somebody who's, who's putting themselves on the line to keep you safe. And that, I don't, I don't know that like, and unless you experience that, I can't explain the kind of like relationship that you build when you're looking at the person next to you. And it's not like, you know, I don't know. It's not a trivial thing. So it's, uh, it's a form of camaraderie that some people unfortunately never get to experience who never played team sports before of physical team sports for sure yeah well but even I will say though that it's even different from soccer which can get like really physical and there are instances of that where you can put your your body on the line to protect your teammate but like every single time I was on the field that's how it that's how it that was their job was to you know protect me so I could do my job and um so just keep that in mind uh, when I make this next comment. Like that's so the love that I had developed for my teammates and not even just for those who were on the line. Right. I mean, like I spent so much time with these guys, they became my closest friends. Um, and the support that I had from them 
and the respect that I had for them uh, was just immeasurable. But anyway, yeah, I, I had unbelievable support from them and it was surprising um, because I didn't know how this would be received. I thought people would think it was weird. I didn't think they would necessarily want a girl on their team because they could be taken less seriously. Um, but it was it was all great. It was all good. And uh, yeah, it, it was like all positive, not only from the team, but from the coaching staff, which were all men as well. Um, they gave me what I needed, like whatever I needed. Not that I needed anything really excessive, um, but like even like I said, just having that key for the locker room, you know, making sure I have the things that I need. Um, yeah, I know, like you said, there's there's a lot of harsh talk about men and masculinity in the media, politics, academia. Um, I can say from my experience that I received overwhelming po overwhelmingly positive support from the men in my life especially in that time period um when i was doing something that was really intense as a woman so i was not only just being supported on the field as a football player as being supported as a woman doing this thing that's really difficult um uh, not just physically and mentally but also socially and that takes a lot of courage for those guys too to be like, yeah, we do have a girl on our team and we're proud of it. And she watched her kick your ass. Like that was the kind of attitude that my teammates had. And it, it's an unbelievable support to have. Yeah. And I think it's some, in some layers, it goes deeper than that too. Um, because sometimes you would think that if you were stepping on a field and maybe some of them had this mindset, but it sounds like most of them didn't, um, she's coming to take my spot like like have a chip on their shoulder against you like this girl ain't gonna take my spot right but i don't think most men think that way and i can attest to that myself because we just got a new trainer at the gym and uh that trainer is a female and that's not super super common in the fitness world it is now more than than ever has been but it's more of like a male dom i don't want to say dominated but it's skewed more towards men but i fully support her because she's unbelievable fantastic and i want her to succeed and i'm you know i try to push clients on her and i try to give her as many opportunities as possible so i i think that uh men and women actually are more center i wish there was more synergy between the two at the moment than there is because i do believe we can push each other to uh elevations that we never thought possible and we couldn't do without each other um and i think that being on that football team and actually surrounded by men I think probably made you a stronger human being um, as compared to if you were to be surrounded by all women during that time. Um, and maybe that's wrong, but it sounds like it really did shape you as, you know, a stronger person. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think so just because of the nature of the situation, like it's, it, it's not difficult to be, um, a girl on an all girls soccer team, you know, it's difficult to be a girl on an all boys football team. Um, and it could have gone poorly, you know, like if there were shitty people on that team, I guess it could have gone really poorly, but there weren't, there were really amazing people. And uh, I'm not sure if people were worried that I was vying for their spot. Um, I know the first, the first, I sat my first season, I played JV the first season and the there was another kicker who beat me out um maybe he I mean obviously we were vying for that spot we were both competing for it but I know at the end of the day that the whole team wanted whoever was going to get the job done the best and that's you know that's why when I put in a year of work and training and putting my goal above everything in my life literally everything in my life it when I showed up for my senior season and I was so much better, they had trust in me and, uh, and it worked. It was great. Was the, um, challenge of, of playing football, uh, did it change your capacity for challenging yourself in the future? Were you more open to challenge? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Growing up, um, 
I mean, I myself was more shy and timid also, um, more of an introvert. Uh, and I, I never really like pushed myself until I graduated high school. That's when I started coming out of my shell. Um, and uh, you're more quiet also, more introverted, um, at least from my perspective growing up. And uh, I had a couple of things in my life that propelled me forward and, you know, to do some bigger things. Um, what was... What do you think it was about the experience of playing football? And is there any other experience you can think of that gave you the confidence to just be a bigger personality in life? Like just be more you. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I can say that one of the things that helped me in the first place to play football that I always had as a kid, um, I was never shy. I you know, was not like terribly outgoing, but I, I was never shy um because i had the key ingredient which is that i didn't give a shit when anybody thought pretty much at any point in my life and that's what really helped me play football like i just didn't care what people thought like i i had this i had decided this was a goal for myself um and i wanted to challenge myself to do it so i'm i'm lucky in that way that i don't really care what people think and cuz i know that hinders a lot of people from taking on these challenges and uh but once I did, like, that was definitely one of the craziest things that I've done. Uh, like, I think back on it now, and, and when I was playing, it wasn't, once I got into it, it was like, this is just what I do. And it seemed natural. But now I'm like, wow, that's, that's kind of crazy that I did that. Um, but it definitely changed my perspective on taking on challenges, because I'm like, if I could do that at 16 years old, and not just to play, but I really was lucky to be pretty successful at it because I was, first of all, I was the first and only girl to ever play for that high school. Um, and I became one of the highest performing kickers in all of New Jersey that year, um, which is something we can talk about later because I think I was 44 for 48 extra points. I think that was my record. Um, and what I was saying we could talk about later is the fact that we scored so much. So I, I was able, we had all these opportunities and I could either rise or fail and, you know, for these occasions, but um, yeah. So I just, I, I, to our knowledge also became the first girl to play and score in a New Jersey state championship game. So when I look back and I'm like, I started that at 16, I finished when I was 18 um, if I could do that, like, why can't I do anything that I set my mind to? I don't really understand. Why can't you? Yeah. And I'm best job. Like, you know what I'm saying? I know that's how I know. And I'm like, what, if I could do that, like really, I don't see any other obstacles in life that could be that much more challenging than that, that I take on for myself, you know, life throws things at you, but, um, well, let's talk about that let's talk about that like um physical challenges and, yeah. and, and big challenges do help you build mental resilience and confidence to attack other areas of life that you may not have if you didn't have that confidence in general so right. um do and not only that like okay. you said you did not start your freshman year or your uh, first year playing football um and that was out of your control just like a lot of people don't have control but what was in your control was spending time outside the practices kicking and yeah. uh, focusing on learning more about the game and obsessing over the skill. Um, so what do you think, um, what would you say to people? I say this a lot, but I'll let, let you say, it. what do you say to people who always dish the responsibility off to other people or to other circumstances or um, always looking for somebody else or something else to solve their problems? And they, they assume they have, no control over anything, right? Yeah. And I always say, uh, control the controllables. And there's not yeah. many. And if you don't control the ones that you can control, you're going to lose every time. Yeah. Um, that scares me to to think that I have no control. Everything's out of my control. Uh, it's this person's fault. They did it. It's that, you know, it's for this reason. Like to have no agency over your own life and actions is a scary thought to me. So I'm going to control what I can. And you have to take ownership over those things. Also, you're doing yourself a complete disservice if you don't see what it is that you're capable of. 
um, you're potentially doing those around you and society a disservice if you don't see what you're capable of. I mean, you could really be contributing something great. Like I had, uh, after I played and I wrote this article a few weeks ago, I had a girl reach out to me saying she wants to try out for kicker next year. Like, yeah, so that's a scary thought to me to to just sit back and, and let the world happen. Let a life happen people, to you. A lot of people do, unfortunately, especially nowadays more than ever. I mean, I've noticed it now more than ever, um, especially in younger kids, you know, like younger kids that I train. Everybody's a victim. Everybody's a victim. Yeah. Woe me, woe me, woe me. It's never like uh, it's it's never personal responsibility. It's always, you know, personal victimhood. You know, like I have it the worst. I can't do it. The circumstances aren't yeah. right. Blah, 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 blah. Um, but you were someone who was in a bad position in terms of you were 60 against one, you know, and <laughs> you know, yeah. you didn't know what you're doing, but you made it happen. So how has that transitioned into other areas of your life? Well, first, let me just give you a little insight into how I made it happen. Um, I, first of all, like, don't, don't get me wrong. I was unbelievably frustrated and like really angry and emotional about this fact that I took this huge leap and playing football. And then I have to sit on the bench. I was like, yeah, that looks great. So, uh, that really sucked, but it pushed me, it drove me, it lit a fire under my ass. That's the kind of person who I am. I'm like, well, you know, I just got to get back in the training room. And so I started working with a coach who specializes in, um, kicking coach Murphy. He's a man. He, <laughs> I credit him with all of my success because he's the only coach who could handle me either, you know, uh, actually I think a lot of football coaches don't know how to handle girls. Cause they, they don't know, you know, how they should be with them. Coach Murph would yell at me if he needed to. So that was great. But um, I took all the steps that I could. I, I practice as often as I could. I practice with, with coach Murphy as often as I could. I took every single step that he said, uh, and would think about it, even when I wasn't on the field, I would I would go over it and visualize it all the time, all the time. Um, it was really the only thing that was on my mind most of the time. So I just knew that if I work as hard as I can and it still didn't work, I tried. What the hell else can you do, right? I tried. You just but, good enough at the yeah. end of the day. But you... Yeah. But you did. You controlled the controllables. It's fucking awesome. Yeah. You control the controllables. You got good enough. You started. Right. You set some broke some records. Um, and I think uh, I think it actually probably set you up for a really good life after high school. Just the mental confidence that you had. Yeah, I mean, so it influenced a lot of decisions in my life. Um, I decided I want to become a published author, so I'm working on a few manuscripts. I realized that you know if I could if I could play football. I can teach myself how to write a book and I've been taking the time doing that. I'm not just, you know, sitting down writing it and thinking that it's the next great American novel. I'm like really, you know, taking my time to um, whip my own ass into shape into being a good writer, uh, the best I can be. Um, and I really take every challenge seriously. Like I don't, I take every challenge seriously and I, um, I don't want to eliminate myself. I think a lot of people are afraid of taking on new challenges uh, because they might look stupid to try something new or they might fail, but then you're just in the same position that you started in. Um, so like, meaning like if you fail, you're just in the same position that you started in. So that's. Why yeah. That's I need, I need goals that scare me. If they're not big enough and they don't scare me, I won't be motiv motivated enough to do it, to be totally honest. Um, <laughs> yeah, I can get that. It's just one of those <laughs> things where, um, like I have to either care about it so much I'm willing to die for it kind of, or, um, it has to scare me so much that it mo that motivation of how big it is gets me off my butt to accomplish it. Um, mm. I, I thrive off of challenges. And I think, uh, I think, uh, what you did was, you know, admirable, like challenge yourself to do football and, um, and just being, uh, being, uh, you know, the black sheep you know <laughs> i myself yeah. i don't necessarily pride myself but i am also a black sheep in life and uh it is what it is i wish there was actually more people who were on the side but there's not <laughs> well i think a lot of people are afraid um but just to answer your last question there about how it translated later into my life so 
another thing. Yeah, I moved to a new country, Israel. It's so different from America in every conceivable way. <laughs> it's extremely challenging, um, but it's not as challenging as playing football as a 16-year-old girl. No, there's no way. <laughs> yeah, there's no way. Yeah, um, so, so you did move. You did move to Israel. We'll give people a little background. Uh, we grew up in uh, New Jersey. We grew up in just middle class home, basically. Um, not the greatest family life growing up. Uh, <laughs> we had some. We had some issues, but it is what it is. Uh, you know, our family did. Um, but me and you didn't have much, right? Um, we didn't have like people behind us, like financially or. Um, really emotionally, at least it seemed that way for me when I was younger, maybe for you as well. Uh, but then as we got older, I actually think going through a little bit more of like a rougher family life kind of helped me be more independent. And I don't know if you could maybe agree with that, but you know, the fact that you were able to up and leave your country and go somewhere else, um, you know, what gave you the confidence to do that. I mean, for me, I could go anywhere and be okay. Like I, I could, I, you know, I go on trips all the time and I'm like, yeah, I could live here for sure. Like I, I'm not attached to home. Um, and I, I don't know, I just have this confidence and I don't know if it has to do with, you know, that childhood of like not really having a solid family foundation, but, um, what, what do you think gave you the confidence to make that jump? Do you think it goes as far back as childhood? Or do you think it happened because you accomplished some big goals in football and and other things that just form that mindset? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, it could be a number of things. Uh, def definitely football, like uh, without without doubt, football. Um, you know, moving to a new country is a big, it's a big challenge. It's a big risk. And uh, I know, like, I have these these skills um, that are like were baked into me, like, baked into me after football. But I also have just these memories that I reflect upon, and I'm like, oh yeah, I could do that, so I can do this. Um, as a kid, actually, I was pretty attached to home as a kid. I was kind of an anxious kid, so I don't know. I'm not sure I had a comment on that. I mean, I do think you know we didn't have it the easiest, and um, that I don't know that that can always build confidence. Uh, I think it can build strength and strength of character. Um, yeah. I don't think I, I meant like kind independence. Of, yeah. Independence was what I, yeah. Was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe. Yeah. That might play a role in it. And I mean, you moved there with your uh, boyfriend, Ben. Um, yeah. You know, how did you guys meet, you know, first of all, and then, you know, what, why did you guys move there in the first place? Um, wait, before I get into that, I see that we have like a minute and a half left. Yeah, we do. But we'll okay. start back. We'll up. continue. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. All right. So um, we met because when Ben was living, Ben grew up in Israel. Ben's Israeli. And uh, when he was living here, he volunteered with this program that does survival, outdoor survival missions with at-risk youth. Is he Bear Grylls? No, like what? <laughs> Do you know who Bear Grylls is? I don't know. I'm he's, he's like that famous uh, wilderness TV guy who got caught like not actually living in the wilderness. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, <laughs> that's hysterical. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I have to ask him about that. So he was. Uh, they had a donor, an American donor. Um, you know, do no donated large sums of money. And when he moved to America, when Ben moved to America, he reconnected with that donor. Uh, and she was married to our uncle. So I met him at a family gathering. And yeah, that's that. <laughs> okay, so you met Ben through uh, family, mutual people. Um, how long have you guys been dating? Uh, seven and a half years, I think. Where are you guys living in the U.S.? How long were you, uh, I guess, six and a half years? <laughs> so what sparked the move to Israel? Um, I guess COVID. Like, I had gone remote, and Ben could do a lot of his work remote. Um, and I didn't want to keep living in the city. We were living in New York City at the time, and I was tired of it. So, yeah, we just thought, let's let's try out Israel. How's the experience been so far? 
it's been good and bad. It's difficult. I mean, the first time we were here, so we were here for about five months and we came home for two months over the summer. Then we were here for about another four or five months. Um, the first stint was, it was great. It was really fun. I loved it. Um, and then we came home and it's funny cause you said you don't care where you live and you don't really have any sort of attachment to home. And I didn't really either until I came back home, home meaning the U S mostly. Uh, so I, we got back home and I was like, Oh wow. It's so great. Yeah. Yeah, when I I'm say biggest... when I say I live anywhere I could, but like I'd rather be living in the U.S. Yeah, <laughs> you know oh, I am the biggest patriot now. Oh God, me quote too. me on that. Me fucking too. Oh, yeah, oh my. I am no. the biggest patriot. Proud. proud, proud. U.S. number one, baby. Proud American. I'm the proudest friggin' American you'll ever meet in your life. But Israel, um, the experience has been pretty cool, though. I mean, challenging. So what, what's the cool yeah. parts? What's been the best parts? And then what has been the most challenging and some of the stuff that you don't really like dealing with? Yeah, so um, I love the nature is very different here, and I love it. Um, I'm two miles from the Mediterranean, which is unbelievable. I'm there multiple times a week. And in the summer, it's like bath water. It's that warm. <laughs> so it's just amazing. I mean, the water, it's just amazing. Um, you know, so I really love the beach and it's just different here. The trees, the, all the vegetation here is just different, uh, but it's gorgeous. The weather's amazing. Like it, it doesn't really get any colder than the fifties at, you know, at, in the winter where I live. Um, so I love that. Um, some of the challenges, the biggest challenge for me is the language barrier. I have enough Hebrew to get around on my own and ask for help if I need it, if I can't figure something out. Um, but it's just kind of uh, a prolonged state of discomfort because I work from home and I work in English. So I'm not out being uh, assimilated and integrating and learning the language through exposure and things like that. So it's sort of this prolonged state of discomfort um, and not much language acquisition along the way which makes things really difficult. Um, I also look Israeli based on what everybody says. So people just assume that I'm Israeli and Israelis are talkative. They'll just come up to you literally in the middle of the street and start asking you questions. Like I was walking yesterday, this dude is flying by on a scooter and comes to an abrupt stop to ask me something. Like just things that you, <laughs> wouldn't happen in the u.s i was gonna say it's so, probably different than living in the city when everybody just blows by you because they yeah. don't have time you know yeah, yeah yeah so um i yeah i get i get asked things out of context all the time here which which is really difficult so um a lot of people here speak english but it's still um sort of challenging and yeah, that that's the biggest challenge. Culturally, it's very different. There are a lot of things here that piss me off. Um, <laughs> what, like what? Give me an example. Yeah. Uh, like when you got separated at the wall from Dad and Ben, the Wailing Wall. No, that doesn't bother me that much. Yeah, I mean they do separate men and women for a number of things for their religious things, but that I don't really participate in religious things, so maybe that's why it doesn't bother me. Because Dad, um, Dad was hyped and happy that you got he was like i found some happiness in her misery <laughs> that's what he said I, yeah i know i think he was like constructing that in his own mind i was like i've been here before i know, I know. what the deal is like i'm I not know. So thrown funny. by this he was laughing he's like you should have seen her face she was all no no not so at all not at all i know what the deal is so um, over there uh it's pretty cool because you technically work in the u.s yeah but you're in israel so uh yeah. explain what you do and because uh, I think that's it's pretty interesting and um, explain, you know, what um, what it's like working remote from, you know, completely across the entire world. You know, like how's yeah. it been and, you know, what do you do? So I'm the marketing manager for this biotech located in New Jersey. Um, they develop and manufacture cell and gene therapies, which is really cool. Um, and I do all their marketing. Yeah. I'm their marketing manager, so I create all their content and deploy it through these marketing campaigns. Um, and it is fully remote, which is great. I've been fully remote since the pandemic started. Marketing, writing, editing, social media, all the things that I do is really conducive to being remote. 
I only need a computer. So that's great. And being remote has changed my life. Like before I was remote, I was living in, uh, in New York and commuting to New Jersey every day. Yeah. Awful. And by train, by train. I took two subways and New Jersey transit. I was on the train for a minimum of an hour and 15 minutes each way. And it's not a pleasant train ride. Like you're, you're, you are man to man in that filthy ass subway. <laughs> like It's awful. Yeah. But you um, were that on a football field. All those stinky. But, <laughs> yeah. But at least I had the shoulder pads and the helmet to separate me out. But, uh, so it's been so, good. The remote work has been good. Yeah, but I, I mean, what might be interesting for your audience here is that it totally opened me up. So when I was commuting, I was out for 10 hours a day and at least, um, and I didn't do any meal prep. So I would be starving by the time I got home and it would be like 6.30 or 7. So I'd shove whatever food that I could down my throat <laughs> and... Okay. I don't know if anybody sees this video, but Sam's been pointing at me for like 40 seconds. Pause. Trainer Sam entrance here. Yeah, let's, let's talk about meal we, prep. If we fail to prepare, we are preparing to fail, ladies and gentlemen. This is a prime example. Thank you, Abigail. You're welcome. Of uh, uh, being more responsible if your goals are weight loss or body composition to prepare ahead of time yeah. and meal prep and make it work because it gets insane when you have a commuting job or a job that requires travel um, and yeah. just being prepared helps uh, immensely. But um, it's crazy you say that because you were going to go into, I'm guessing, and I'll let you finish uh, that um, working from home kind of allowed you to reset yourself in terms of health and eating well, right? And also fitness, <clears throat> because by the time I would get home and shove food down my throat, I wasn't working out. When you were eating stuff and everything you're saying, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For years, I yeah, didn't work you out. Were so drained from like just to work <clears throat> mm -hmm. So what's crazy is you would expect most people when the pandemic hit and this whole change of working in the office to working at home happened to take more control over their health and well-being. Um, but working in this field, uh, it was unfortunately the opposite. I found more people actually allowed themselves the immediate gratification of DoorDash and gluttony when they would just <laughs> order, <laughs> order whatever they wanted and they would stuff their face and use COVID as a reason to, to pursue their inherent laziness, right? So I want you to dive in real quick, just because I love this stuff. You can see I just got a little passionate real quick. Um, <laughs> what what was telling you on the inside, like, okay, I got more time now. Like, what what was the drive for you to say, I'm not going to be lazy and order DoorDash and, you know, you decided to cook food and prepare meals and even yeah. though you're working from home, right? And you decided yeah. to work out more what was the motivation for that? And how has that affected your life now becoming healthier again? Because you were you used yeah. to play sports, you know, you used to like yeah. take years, used to be in great physical condition, but then working in corporate probably changed that, like you just said. Mm -hmm. You were sporadic with your nutrition, didn't work out. So how has that ability to gain control over those two things helped you mentally and physically in general? Well, yeah, okay. So just um, a quick background there. So after I stopped playing football, it was the first time in my life, I was 18 years old, first time in my life that I didn't have any physical activity to do. And I'm not going to lie, I enjoyed it for a few months there. I was like, damn, I can just sit on my ass. This has never happened. Um, so for like a little while, I was enjoying that. The problem is that just because your brain is like, yeah, let's sit on the couch, doesn't mean that your ramped up, amped up metabolism says the same thing. So I would eat for my heightened metabolism um, and then just sit on the couch. And that really, you know, impacted me. And I'm kind of a small person. So when I say like the freshman 15, it's, it's really not 15 pounds, but by the time I was in college and I wasn't working out that much, I was definitely heavier than I had ever been, um, which we're just small people. So it's really not, it's re I'm not sure if anybody ever really would notice too much, but I felt that for myself. And as a consequence, just wound up getting really real thin, like way too skinny after that. 
I don't know. I really don't even know how that happened. Like that wasn't a goal of mine to eat less. It, I think I just was living in the city and food was so expensive. And uh, I, you know, cooking was a pain in the ass. And I didn't really have to do it at that point. And I just, I, I didn't intend to, but I lost a lot of weight. I mean, a lot. Like I was at one point 105 pounds soaking wet, which is really thin. And so moving back over to when COVID hit in November, I remember because it was my birthday, November 21st. So a few months before COVID shut the world down, so you're talking, I fainted. You're talking 2019? Yeah, 2009, the very end of 2019, I fainted because I never, I, I wasn't eating enough. Um, and I was always dizzy. I was constantly dizzy, constantly dizzy. And then I was like, boop, that was it. And I was like, all right, this has got to change. This really question, has to I change. A, I got a question for you. Were you practicing dad's religious eating habits? No, no, I wasn't. No. You weren't you weren't vegan then? No. No, not at all. No, I would eat chicken. I'd get cold cuts, things like that. So you, so you just do you think that partially maybe you stopped eating just because of the stress of the current situation in your life? Because I don't know if that's for you, but because you know, we're brother and sister. So when I get stressed, I do not eat. <clears throat> I literally have to force myself to eat because I could go five, six days with no food if I'm really stressed out. And like for example, there's a period in two thousand in 20 where I was really stressed out and I lost 20 pounds myself actually. So, and that was, yeah. I mean, there was a couple of reasons for that getting sick and, COVID and not being able to recover. And just, there was a lot of stress. Um, but you know, it's a little odd for someone to just lose that much weight without something causing it, you know, I mean, unless it was, I mean, I unless you were obsessed with your figure at that time, some people do restrict food, to that extent, but it doesn't sound like that. It sounds like you were, no, stressed or something like that do you I really I honestly I I don't really know like I I'm sure stress must have played a role I know I was going through a lot of changes in my life moving into the city um you know starting to live with Ben that was the first time I would I was ever living with somebody moving like just live did I say living in New York City yeah going to school uh working like I don't maybe I don't know I really don't know nothing stands out um, it wasn't like I had any sort of depressive episode, but I do, I can say that, yeah, like now I know that when I'm stressed, I won't eat. That's, you know, mom's always done that. So, um, yeah. And then we, I mean, mom's like 110 pounds soaking wet or less, right? Like usually, and dad is, he eats like a rabbit. So he's hundred. Yeah. We're small people. We're small so, people. Um, um, yeah. So I don't, maybe, but I really, I've been asked that question a number of times and I still don't know the, the exact answer. Like why, why I just got into this bad habit of eating. Um, but so I fainted and I was like, this has got to stop. I got to start eating, like, you know, really get to it. And when COVID hit, I was determined to do that. I was also, oh, this is part of it. I was kind of a nut. Like, what's that? What's that thing you told me about when you're too conscious of the things that you eat and the quality? I actually just spoke about this with a client today. It's called orthorexia nervosa. So when somebody is over, uh, like hyper fixated on being healthy and they are uh, fearful of food items or any items that enter their body with the idea that it will have a negative impact or cause some form of, you know, like extreme sickness, like a cancer or something like that, yeah. that causes psychosomatic symptoms and it causes, you know, symptoms to happen within the body itself. Um, so it's never good to like, I'm not a fan of extremes. Like I'm just not, um, sometimes for some people, extremes do help, right? Like for example, for me right now, I have an extreme diet because I'm suffering some digestive issues, right? So like my diet right now is solely meat and eggs based with some things sprinkled in like avocado and olives and some berries here and there, but that's an extreme. Like I don't recommend that to my clients unless there's some extreme thing going on uh, because I do believe that if you are too extreme in anything, it becomes the law of diminishing returns where you're trying so hard to be the best that you actually become worse than you ever were eventually. Uh, yeah. so that's what that is. Orthorexia nervosa. And it's a real thing and people struggle with that. So uh, yeah. that is something, but go ahead. Like what was that experience? Well, so I, I mean, I'm not like self-diagnosing myself with that. I, but I definitely had tendencies of that. Like I was just so hyper fixated on the quality of food that I was eating that I would opt not to eat if it wasn't up to par with what I thought was healthy because I was just like scared of 
cancer, really everything. I'm like cancer, cancer, cancer. I know a lot of people. Here's a here's a quick question. Was it do you think that was like social media driven, like from seeing information on social media? No, I didn't have social media at that point at that time. So it was more just like family history related like and research. I was just constantly researching food and and like uh, the ne negative effects of the additives and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. That stuff gets, that stuff gets con like uh, confusing and conflicted. I mean, one study yeah. comes out, you know, now, and then three years later, another study comes out, says, please, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. no science has never been good. And I don't think it ever really will be good because the way humans metabolize food in general um, is going to be completely different for everybody. And uh, like some people are going to thrive on a lower carb diet and some people are going to thrive on a, you know, higher carbohydrate diet it just is what it is. But uh, yeah, in general, um, people do have that like fear of that stuff happening. And unfortunately, um, you can be as good as possible. And like that shit still happens. You know, like there's a book, right. why do bad things happen to good people? Nobody freaking knows, you know? Yeah. But what, what changed your mindset to stop being hyper fixated on being perfect in terms of your nutrition and stuff? Like what was Well, because I wasn't perfect. I was fucking fainting. I mean, like, I was like, well, mm -hmm. I don't have cancer, but I'm also not conscious. So that's not good. That's um, was yeah, Ben so, when you fainted? What? Was Ben there when you fainted? Yeah, thank God he was, actually, because I had gone up to give him a hug goodbye. And what the, the standing to the, uh, the sitting to the standing is what did it. So he caught me before I splatted. Oh, he's just so handsome that you fainted. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell the story like that from now on. <laughs> um, but so anyway, so I was, yeah, I was committed to um, eating more. And at that point, I was still really concerned with the quality. So I took it upon myself to cook my own food. And I learned a, a lot about cooking. And uh, we lived right above a food store. So I'd go down all the time, every day. Actually, it was like they always stayed open um, and had great stock. So it was like my treat during COVID to go down there. And then for working out, I lost all my muscle. I was like a wraith, as you can imagine. Um, and what really locked it into my mind was I couldn't do a curl with a 15 pound dumbbell. And that was scary to me. I was like, that's actually really scary. Cause like, yeah, because I have, I have 80 year old women who can do that. <laughs> <laughs> Think about that. Think about that. So, but also it's, it's scary because of what I used to be capable of and knowing how far I've just, you know, crumbled away from that. And then also like, as a woman, you need to be strong and be, have some sort of ability to protect yourself. Yeah. And I was like, I used to be confident in my, you know, physical abilities. And then, and then I wasn't, I was navigating the city, like knowing that I was so vulnerable and I started uh, working out on the Peloton, not the bike, but the app doing their strength classes. It's just like dumbbell boot camps, things like that. Um, and well, I, I'm glad that again, like football helped me get through these workouts because one of the hardest things I ever did physically was building muscle from nothing. Like, I think I, I could be wrong. I don't, I've never been in a position where I have to lose that much weight, but I think compared to losing weight, maybe you could speak to this about this more than I can versus building muscle from just being absolutely nothing like that was one of the hardest physical challenges I ever had. So building muscle is significantly harder than losing weight. Um, That's what I thought. <laughs> I, was, I was like, this is really freaking hard. Significantly hard. Like I'll give you an example. Uh, when I graduated high school, I was 140 pounds, I think, 140 pounds, maybe 145 pounds. Um, those next two years from 18 to 20, I shot up to 175 pounds. And yeah. uh, the only way I did that was I was eating between 3,500 and 4,500 calories every single day for two years to the point where I was eating those mini Skippy peanut butter jars every single night like one of those little jars, you know, like the miniature ones. Yeah. I remember. You so I actually had this conversation with a client yesterday who wants their son to bulk up for hockey. Kid doesn't have an appetite. He has the body I did in high school. Um, he will not gain weight at all unless he force feeds himself every day. And doing that is painful, physically yeah. painful because you, you want to puke all times during the day and you have to <laughs> every single day. Um, and just the process of building muscle in itself is extremely hard. You have to work hard at building muscle. Yeah, that was really um, hard. 
Um, so yeah, you are right in the fact that losing weight is way easier than, than building muscle. Um, yeah. And but, now I can curl with like 25 pounds. Hey, shout out to the strength, <laughs> um, which I'm proud of. And I don't have any dumbbells to see if I can go higher, but I'm hoping that I can at least go. for like a one rep max. I'm a, uh, you know, my whole, this whole thing, this whole strong dance thing is about making men physically, mentally, and socially stronger in life. Um, but I, women need the same exact thing. Like yeah. you guys need to be strong as hell. So how has getting healthier and getting stronger impacted you in your life? Do you feel happier? Do you feel more energetic? Do you feel like you're more capable of taking on the world? You know, go ahead real yeah. quick. Break. All of the above. First of all, um, I, after football ended, I, like I said, first time in my life that I was no longer an athlete, huge depression, huge depression. And through college and I mean like it was bad um that was after high school you're talking about yeah okay. mm -hmm. and, and in that next year during college like I said I was enjoying it for a little while because I was like okay here's a few months of a break that was great I had fun summer with my friends before college things like that college comes around now I have no purpose I'm at a shit-ass school um I was depressed really depressed like suicidal level depressed and because that's yeah i know that's just kind of how it goes in our family unfortunately um yeah it's uh, it's one of those things sometimes it's wired in but um yeah you fight back for sure so it was bad and i lost a lot of confidence um and then when i started working out i it it improved my mental health so drastically and it reinstated the confidence i had as a football player and I was like, this is not, this is not, um, and if I feel like it kind of thing, this is an absolute necessity for me. This is part of who I am. And I felt like myself for the first time in years, in years. And yeah, so like to this day, I can't take that much time off of working out um, because I need it for my head. And, and it just, it, it is who I am. It is part of who I am. And I, and I need that. It's part of who you are now. Right. So it took a little work to get there. Well, no, I think it was always part of who I was. And then once organized sports, which, you know, served that purpose for me, ended, I didn't I didn't have a, a I didn't have a way set up for myself to keep that going. And I really lost. I felt lost. I didn't, I didn't feel like myself for years. My personality was different. I didn't have the same confidence that I had. Um, and and then when I. And I'm telling you, this is all through working out. Like I just rediscovered myself truly like back to my own crazy, ridiculous personality, uh, not giving a shit what anybody thinks. Yeah. Runs in the, it's got to run in the let's and <laughs> I, don't give, I don't give a damn. I just, I don't care. I don't care at all. Like we don't, I don't have enough time in life to worry about the opinions of any other people in the world. Yeah. That doesn't mean you go out there and you be a complete asshole, you know, but um, yeah. you go out there and you just, you do your thing and you're confident in your thing. But I'm, I'm happy that fitness has allowed you to gain that confidence back because that's what it does. That's exactly what it does. Yeah. Um, I do want to talk about the mental health side of things more, but um, we do have to end this because I have coach Greg coming on. Nice. He just texted me saying he's sitting here waiting like a shark. Oh, well, don't keep him waiting. I'm I gonna know. take off I right know. now. I know. <laughs> so um this was awesome. Yeah, this was great. And, uh we're gonna do this again. Uh but I'm um, just texting Greg back real quick. Is there any last thing you want to say before we hop off? No, I just wanted to ask if I was the first woman on your podcast. You are, and I do want to bring on more. Um oh my god, look at me. Women's History Month 2023. We're out here setting records again. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. You are the only woman on the Strong Gents team. That is right. That's, right. That's funny. To be completely honest, at this point, I don't want any others in. <laughs> so you will be the number one spot. All right. All right. Uh, no, I do, I do want to have some women on the podcast. Um, I'm now in a position, I changed my hours at work. So I'm now in the position to have more guests on um, because I used to do these, the solo ones that I have out right now were done at like 11 PM at night after I got out of work. Um, the ones I did with dad were on odd times. Um, 
So now I have the availability. So I'm going to be reaching out to a lot of people. And I do want to bring some women on um, who I find, you know, interesting. And if you have anybody you want to recommend, you let me know. Because I do think men benefit from the perspective of women. Like, I think a lot of men are going to benefit from this conversation and the conversations that we have in the future. Because men need women to some capacity to become their best selves, just as women need men to some capacity to become their best selves. And I truly believe that if men and women were to work together, work together more in a synergistic manner and and put their different personalities up, they complement each other most of the time. Now, is there going to be headbutts? Yes. But I do think that having women on this podcast is going to make it just that much better for everybody in the world, to be completely and totally honest. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. But um, all right, Abby, thank you for coming on. Um, thank you. Guys, if you have not subscribed or left a review, please do so. I'm trying to grow this podcast to reach as many men as possible and I need your help. It takes a tribe. Thank you for the love and support. Until next time, get strong, stay strong. Peace.